Does the story work? Let's find out. Welcome to the StoryGrid Showrunner Podcast. We'll be answering this question using the StoryGrid method developed by Sean Coyne by analysing hit TV series to figure out what works, what doesn't, and why. Today, we're going to be diving into Game of Thrones Season 1. Oh, God, I love that. Now, let's get on with the show. What is the lowdown for this? This is a series with a mini plot. It's, there are, we have multiple characters that are each pursuing their own storyline, but they come together for a larger story arc. In this first season of Game of Thrones, you'll see multiple storylines weaving together, but the value at stake is power. The clue is in the name, the Game of Thrones. This is closely linked to the action genre with its values of life and death, and you'll see other genres laced throughout, which we'll share in our show notes. How do we feel about it? What's our one sentence review? So I think this... So my, my one sentence is more than one sentence because I'm me. And basically, it's just a great example of a series of books that was changed into a great screenplay. And the way they did it is just, it, it's, it's, there's definitely learning examples in, in everything they did in this, in this uh, series. What about you, Mel? I think it was an awesome fantasy story masterpiece with very deep three-dimensional characters, especially through all those plot lines that we have. And it's an amazing story. And I have to say it, it's the best title music and video ever made. <laughs> so so no, no, one, no one likes the one sentence review idea, clearly. <laughs> okay, fair enough, fair enough. Um, it's just, for me, it's just society and action combined at its best. Everyone wants power and everybody will die. So what are, so we're going to talk about the editor's six core questions and uh, we're just going to review them re real quick. If you're not familiar with the story grid, uh, six core questions, it's a great way to analyze your story and figure out how it works. So here they are. First one is what's the genre. Second one is what are the conventions and obligatory scenes for that genre? What's the point of view is the third one. The fourth one is what are the uh, objects of desire? The fifth one was, what's the controlling idea and theme? And then the last one is, what are the beginning hook, the middle build, and the ending payoff, the 15 core scenes of the story? So we'll have Mel uh, leap off with the global genre. Yeah, um, Game of Thrones consists of such a huge landscape of plot lines and characters that it can be really hard to boil down to one external genre. So if you ask yourself this question, you need to know first, like, okay, who is your main character? That's basic, basically where you start. If you just watch season one, you might think it's Ned Stark until he's beheaded. So yes, you guessed wrong. And you have figured out that everyone on Game of Thrones can die. If you have already watched the entire series, okay, this spoiler alert, you know that the story revolves around Jon Snow. Internally, I think it's going to be a status admiration story for him because he is able to adapt his worldview with the new information that presents itself. And for everyone who doesn't really know what is status admiration, here's a short summary from the story grid. It says, when a sympathetic protagonist with nobility of character and motive, along with a sophisticated worldview encounters misfortune, they will rise in spite of it. So, and for the global external genre, I'd say it's horror. But that seems most valid if you take Jon Snow as your main character and look at Game of Thrones across all seasons. But for season one, I'd say it's more a society story turning around power and impotence mixed with life and death stakes. Yeah, Ooh, exactly. What do you think? Yeah, so following on from what you're saying, 
It's not uncommon for a series to have an overarching storyline, but for each season um, to have another. So in season one, we see the House of Lannister against the House of Stark. It's about power, it's about impotence, and about each character's position of power or lack of power. And that, for them, is closely linked to the threat of life. Basically, if you don't have power, the chances are you might die. Um, they are playing a Game of Thrones, but with drastically different positions of morality. The House of Stark and Ned, he has a principal position, but he makes the wrong move and so he's killed. He was attempting a revolution, not for him, but for the greater good, for stability, but he fails. So we have the society genre with values of action and morality very, very close by. Ned is the main character, but we do see that the children um, are at the beginning of an action story. We have the inciting incident, we have the hero of mercy, the villain. For, those, for some of the children. And we see the Northerners, including Rob Stark, and then we see Daenerys Tar Targaryen preparing for war. Um, do you wanna talk quickly about the global life value? Uh, before that, I just wanna give my four cents that I didn't write in the notes yet. Um, <laughs> basically, I, you know, I agree with everything you guys, great points, everything. I, I just think this is a really great example of how to write a series of books for the listeners, or in, if in this case, a, a bunch of seasons that are all connected, you'll see a lot of TV series that didn't have this great background material, obviously, but they, they, they kind of make them, they look at them as a one season at a time and they don't necessarily connect all these, these dots along the way. And I, I got to believe that George RR R. Martin went the way of, you know, Harry Potter and just planned, the hell out of this thing so that all the different books and seasons are linked so well and all the things build up on each other. It's just freaking amazing. I, I wish he'd write the last book so we could figure out what he well, really wanted to happen. But that's, that's really all I wanted to say about that. Right. Uh, maybe we'll go straight to the beginning hook, middle build and pale. Then we can come back to the objects of desire. So the beginning hook, it's tricky to know what to cover. There are so many things happening. We start the series with, men mysteriously killed and this is the inciting incident for the series and the horror genre or the action genre depending on how you define the entire series but for this season we're tracking Ned Stark for the society story because it's power and so the society inciting incident the power the, the thing that shifts power is that Robert the King uh, is traveling to Winterfell and Ned suspects that he's going to be recruiting him for, for the job of Hand of the King because he knows that his mentor, John Aaron, has died, but he doesn't know why. Um, the progressive complication is, um, there are a whole bunch of progressive complications. The, the Lannisters are basically not to be trusted. They are ruthless. They are twisted. They push young boys off windows or Bran off a window uh, when, when Bran sees the brother and sister having a lot of fun together uh, and so the turning point progressive complication is when Ned discovers that John Aaron was murdered so the crisis for him is now does he take that role does he take the role as the hand of the king knowing that his life is in danger probably in danger his wife is worried for him already and he's worried um, he could stay safe but then he'll leave the king without a trusted hand and that's his friend so he decides the climax is he agrees to be the hand of the king uh, and the resolution is he begins to not only see how much power the Lannisters have over the king, and he sees the sort of the, the dirty nature of political games, but he himself 
becomes entangled in that political game. I'd just like to add, uh, so I, I was, I'm reading the book while we've been watching the series and the book is, you know, the series and, and the book are very parallel. They did, the screenwriters did a really good job and it's really interesting. It's an interesting look at how you have to take what's in the book because you can get in the heads of your characters and how you put that into a dialogue, for instance, or actions that the characters are doing to show almost the same information. And it's really, really well done. And that, that actually specific scene when Bran gets pushed off, he actually, um, he's listening, he's eavesdropping. So he hears the two of them talking about the things they're going to do to his father, Bran's father. And so he feels that he has to get close to her and listen and find out who they are. And uh, he's a little monkey. He actually comes up, gets around a gargoyle with his legs and comes upside down to see who's in there. And then he actually slips and falls and catches himself. And Jamie says, Hey, take my hand and pulls him up and saves his life first before pushing him off and killing him. It's really crazy. It's, it's such a good book too. Um, let's I'll move on to the middle build real quick. The middle build is all about power as well. And the power and the specific question for the middle build is who uh, is the rightful heir after the king dies. And there's no anticipation of the king dying until later on, but uh, Ned Stark goes into detective mode, figuring out why John Aaron died, figures out he was probably killed, trying to figure out who killed him, and um, eventually discovering uh, the king's bastards. And eventually, he, he, he really gets to the bottom of, hey, Jamie and Cersei, the kid, the the children, the royal, the royal prince and princesses are actually their children and not the king's children. So they shouldn't inherit the throne. And so his question ultimately is, does he confront Cersei as a mercy without going to the king and say, hey, uh, you, I'll give you 24 hours to get out of town. Uh, but Jeffrey's, as far as I'm concerned, Jeffrey's never going to inherit the throne because he's not the rightful heir. And then the king gets mortally injured on a hunt. Uh, also another setup by the Lan the Lannisters and now he's got, and, and he's only got a couple hours to live. And the, the, uh, the, the crisis is like, like I said, he confronts them, but the resolution is it didn't matter because they had already made movements to take the throne with Joffrey on, on, as the, as the head. And they didn't even acknowledge uh, the, the King, the King's uh, signing over as the, the hand taking, taking Jeffrey under his wing and stuff like that. So in the end, it's a confrontation in the throne room. Ned Stark, the resolution, Ned Stark gets taken prisoner. His men are killed. Uh, ending payoff also, you know, once again, it's about power. It's about the Lannisters staying in power, even though they're not the rightful heirs. And basically um, the crisis is uh, Sansa. The turning point is the Sansa gets Joffrey to agree to show mercy if Ned acknowledges that Joffrey's the rightful heir. And uh, so Ned Stark does that because he wants to live. He wants to protect his family and he's supposed to go to the night watch. He admits it. Joffrey goes against his, his word and kills Ned anyway. And then there's a bunch of other resolutions from, for the, the children of the, of the uh, Stark family. So anybody have anything to add to that? No, it's so it's fascinating. It's a fascinating story. We could definitely, and maybe we'll do this as a bonus. We could we could pick another character and show, for example, what happens to Daenerys, um, or what happens to um, 
Ari Stark. They all have different storylines. And we have a bonus for you uh, where we are tracking the storylines across all the characters and marking the genre that they're in as well. Um, but let's move to the obligatory scenes and conventions for the society genre. Uh, there are quite a lot, so we, we won't have time to go through them all. They will be available as uh, a bonus in the editor's six core questions, but we will pick some of the obligatory scenes to start with that we have found interesting or different. Mel, would you like to kick us off? Yeah, and the first one of the obligatory scenes for the society story, that's like there's an inciting threat or challenge to the reigning power. And we know the hand of the king has, has died. Ned Stark is asked, okay, you want to take, take on the job? Uh, but before that, he discovers, like, he gets, gets the letter from Lysa, Kat, uh, Caitlin's sister, suggesting, okay, he might, be, might have been murdered. And later on, he gets confirmation from Varys that um, John Aaron was indeed murdered by the Lannisters. And I think it's like a great combination of starting the society story with like putting a crime investigation into that storyline yeah. for him. So I yeah. think that was really well done. Yeah, definitely. God, wasn't Lisa so strange? What a strange character the with her son. The introductory scene of her breastfeeding her son. Oh, like, my God. <laughs> oh, no. Can you imagine I, the actor? It was like, <laughs> okay, take 50, 58, start sucking. I mean, <laughs> it's terrible. I might have to cut that out. <laughs> no, don't. It's funny. It's funny. Um, Randall, do you want to pick something that inspires you or that you want to talk about? Yeah, I really like the setup. Once again, everything is set up so well with the different previous scenes and, and, and just, it's just amazing what he did. And uh, the all, all is lost moment, I, uh, I think, is uh, for Ned, is when he realizes he has to make a decision, uh, you know, be killed for his honor or admit the wrong thing that Joffrey is the rightful King and hopefully save his life and maybe help his family. If he goes to the night watch or if he decides not to do that and save his family. But the, the, uh, the piece is it's set up so well because when the Ravens go to the wall and the people are making fun of John because, Oh, your father's a traitor. And he has to make a, this, you know, the people are talking about it. You know, what would your, what would he do? Would, would, your, would uh, Stark, would Ned Stark, you know, do this or do that? And he's like, he's a man of honor. Of course he would do this. And you get to that point where he's about to get executed and he doesn't. He caves and says, you know, I want to say Joffrey's the rightful heir. And so, so it's this character, character decision. He makes the decision, what everyone thinks he will do and what he actually does. It's this great setup. It's so awesome. Right, because he had that very long scene with, I can't say his name, Varys, the, the uh, eunuch. Yeah. Yeah, Varys, who sort of acts as this mentor role in, in an action story, trying to advise him, stay alive, think of your children, Yeah. wear fealty. So I was shocked when that happened. Um, the other, another obligatory scene, which is really interesting, is the revolution scene, which is the core event uh, for society. So that's when power changes hands from the subjugators to the subjugated. So when it like it's interesting to think about when that could be because we were discussing this randall but could it be when ned stark was in court in front of the queen and on um, the queen the uh the, the mother of the king so cersei and joffrey there is a point there where ned is arrested and all his men are killed that absolutely could be the core event but one of the reasons i decided to go with ned stark confessing his crime 
and Joffrey still ordering his execution, so literally his head being chopped off, is because I felt that up until that point, if you think of the House of Stark, we still thought they might win and it might come through. But power feels, suddenly there's like a power shift that you didn't expect. You did not think that this man who's the core, like the, the, main, the, the, the protagonist, you just think, well, no, obviously he's going to win. He's going to stay alive and he's going to somehow pull through. And you're just, that's when you're shocked. So even the second time I watched it, I was shocked. But the first time you watch it, you're just in disbelief. And then obviously, as you keep watching Game of Thrones, you realize you have to trust nobody. And not believe in anyone. Um, so that's the obligatory scenes. Uh, if we go to the conventions of the global genre, I, I'll kick us off with um, the idea that there's one central character with offshoot characters that embody a multitude of the main characters' personality traits, which is part of a mini plot. And actually, if you look at the houses, you, you'll see a, a multitude of characters. So you look at House of Stark, and you've got this sort of steady warrior who's prepared to die, Ned Stark. You've got his wife, who's a little bit more strategic, a little bit more emotional. She's impulsive. That decision to take Tyrion Lannister actually ends up costing her her husband's life. That instigates a huge, um, like, yeah, instigates the fight, uh, war. Uh, we've got Arya Stark, who uh, defies any expectation. Anything that is expected of her, she will not stand for that. She's a fighter. She's a rebel. And she'll end up <clears throat> coming to power later on in the, in this in the series. Sansa, on the other hand, is obedient, a power seeker. Rob, he's a lot like his father, king in waiting. Uh, Jon Snow, uh, the black sheep. And we, you'll see that this black sheep, honorable noble figure is also mirrored in the House of Lannisters, where you have Tyrion Lannister. So a slightly different version of him because he likes, he talks a lot about his, uh, his, his bits and, you know, is constantly naked. Um, but he is that, he has this, this streak of honorability about him and nobleness that his sister and brother does do not have all dwarves are bastards in their father's eyes right and he has the most memorable quotes yeah <laughs> absolutely um uh, randall did you want to pick a convention that you were sure i was talking about the big canvas because it's once again it's just amazing how he he just made this this basically dramatic irony throughout the whole series of books is winter is coming. The White Walkers are returning. And how is this affecting everyone's political outlook? And you don't see a lot of it in the first series, but as the series goes along, it just becomes more impactful to everybody and how everyone reacts to it. And it's really, it's just so interesting. And, and, and it draws you along, even if you, I mean, every season you're like, oh, let's see more of the White Walkers. And I think that's why everyone was, well, not everyone, but most people were upset about the final season because you're like, that was it? And the, I mean, because the White Walkers are the dramatic irony through the whole thing because you're wondering who they are and where they came from and stuff. And then they're out the second, the second episode of the last the last season, they're gone. And you're like, what happened to the White Walkers? It all I haven't, happened I haven't, in the I haven't seen it yet, but I'm going to. <laughs> Uh, Mel, go ahead. Yeah, another convention is like there's the power divide between those in power and those disenfranchised is large and evident to the audience. And you can clearly see that um, the, Len the House Lannister is clearly in power. Um, Ned Stark, um, also um, when he's hand of the king, he knows then or the council is telling him the kingdom is in debt basically to the House of Lannister. Um, 
you see Ned Stark, like you think he has power. He's warden of the North. He becomes the hand of the king, but actually he doesn't have much power because he ends up in prison. He doesn't have the power to take on the Lannisters and their incest um, yeah, line that they have. And more of that, you see like how the characters are starting. You see Jon Snow, you get introduced to him here that he is being a bastard, a bastard son. And just if you look across all seasons, like who he's becoming, that's just amazing the, um, where he starts, his origin. Or like look at Tyrion, like Parul said, he's a black sheep too. And even in this season, he becomes the, the hand of the king. But we are not um, seeing how much power he will get until the second season. Or another great example is da Daenerys because she's suffering um, at the hand of her brother who um, sells her to this Dothraki herd just to get an army to win back the throne. So she's starting at the lowest low as well. And it's just great to see how it all changes. Yeah. So uh, let's talk about the... Oh, go ahead, Perul. I was going to say, actually, before we talk about it, I wonder if we just quickly go to the control, uh, the objects of desire. Because I started to write it, and then all I could write was power, power, power. What do the Starks want? They want power. Like, not for themselves, but they want, they want power so they can hold the peace. Or justice. Well, yeah, you could, yeah, absolutely. You could say justice. Lannisters want power. Daenerys wants... I mean, so you can talk about need, and that's also slightly different. But Daenerys, ultimately, she wants power. She wants to be the, the queen and, and gain back her title. So, if you, again, if you doubt the genre for this season, for anything, you just ask yourself, what's, what's the object of desire for the character? Yeah. So, uh, I mean, I'm not going to do too much about the point of view because it's all from the multiple characters and each chapter in the books is, is from a different character's point of view. And Sean Coyne, when, when we, when someone asked us a question about this was like, yeah, when I read books that with 15 different points of view, I, I tell them there's not a lot of Mar George R. R. Martins and you might want to stick to like two or three because it, especially for your first book, it's a lot easier to figure out. But uh, I know Mel's got a lot of uh, insight to talk about um, narrative drive and the dra dramatic irony, right? Yeah, yeah. I quickly wanted to talk about that. So point of view, just to begin, um, there are multiple point of view characters and that are needed to tell a story that is so complex and stretches over many regions, houses, schemes, and overall history. Um, but still, I'd like to point out something Game of Thrones makes a lot of use of, and as already been said, it's dramatic irony. Like, here's an example. The first episode starts with the encounter of men from the Night's Watch, Watch with a white walker. One guy survives and deserts the Night's Watch and flees south. He is ultimately killed for deserting the Night's Watch because his news of the undead walker sounds like an old tale. No one believes him anymore. And something people from the North have stopped believing in. And his news won't influence the judgment of the Warden of the North, Ned Stark. He's killing him anyway. And even though that moment is not the inciting incident of the story itself, it is an inciting incident for the viewer because we are indeed witness to the existence of the White Walkers. We have seen them too. We know that what the deserter talked about, that it's true. So the Game of Thrones story uses traumatic irony a lot 
Traumatic irony is when the viewer knows more than the characters because we are witness to the schemes and actions of many characters. So the inciting incident for the story that is wrapped up between the seasons could be the death of the hand of the king because with that the whole drama starts unfolding. But for the viewer, it should be like the White Walkers, they exist. This guy was right. Yeah, so I, 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 uh, I use a, a, a system to help me uh, when I edit books called uh, The Seven Point System by Dan Wells. And at the end of he, talking about a system, he talks about the ice monster. And in this case, he was referring to the Game of Thrones in that, you know, hey, they, even though this wasn't the inciting incident for the series, it, it was for the whole, it also brought danger life and death stakes to the beginning of the story and woke everyone up and like, holy, what the, what the hell is going on? And then they, when you get into talking about the Stark's life after that, you're, you're going, what about the White Walkers? And I think it's really great that they intertwined the, the Ice Monster sequence because I've read a couple, a bunch of books where they just threw up some exciting stuff and like the, if it's a horror book, the monster just killed someone, but that person really had nothing to do with the rest of the book or something. And they tie that in this, this beginning scene where they had the deserter end up in the Starks territory and get beheaded for deserting. And it's, and, and everything's really tied in so well, like just this connectors, it's just really great. And I think if they hadn't had that deserter right there and killed by the Starks, it would have been a weaker version of the dramatic irony you're talking about, Mel. Um, another great dramatic irony is uh, we know who killed Bran, but throughout the rest of this, this first season, so, uh, the, uh, his mother is trying to figure it out, especially after the assassin comes and they, they go down, they go down the red herrings, right? They think it's Tyrion. They don't really know. They, they, they ultimately think it's the Lannisters, but they never really figure it out till I think, I don't even know if they actually ever do figure it out. I can't remember anymore. So I haven't seen the series in such a long time, but in this season, they don't figure it out. They don't know who killed. Cause if they had known that Jamie killed them, that her mother, his mother never would have let him leave later on. So uh, uh, they never really figured out, but that's dramatic irony because we want to know when they're going to find out and what they're going to do. So throughout this whole season, you know, we're trying to figure that out. So Caitlin, um, Caitlin. So who, yeah, Caitlin asks Jamie, did you push my son out the window? Do you remember that? So she does sort of find that bit out. Yeah, he says, on. yeah, but he doesn't say, uh, say the reason why. why. Yeah. yeah. And In Bran is not killed, just to clarify that. Ah, uh, sorry, yeah. whatever. <laughs> yeah. No, but, no, but you're, you're right that that, us, and that's, that's really, I, no, I think it's really interesting because we know that and so therefore we trust, we know by the time that um, Ned Stark goes to Cersei and tries to offer some mercy, we know that she has shown no mercy to his family. Right. So that puts us, we fear for his life. Um, I wonder if I could move on quickly to uh, the controlling idea and yeah. theme because I think it's really fascinating. Um, it's it's sort of a cautionary tale, but because we're in in the sense that everyone's out for hung, for power, and so the, the way I've put the controlling idea is that we gain or maintain power and save our families' lives when we prove our ruthlessness, status, and authority through bloodshed and political bargaining. Basically, we win if we break all the rules. We win if we kill, no matter whether that's right or wrong. So it's a cautionary tale for someone like Ned Stark. Um, but because we are, we, we are, we're still made sympathetic to almost all the characters, almost all the characters, it works. 
don't know if you have any thoughts on that. I've st I'm still like I'm still thinking about this controlling idea, particularly in the light of what you said, because this doesn't this doesn't address the White Walkers, because there is a there is a, a controlling idea probably for the entire season about if we almost like if we if we focus too much on our own political games and ignore the wider threat, we will come under danger. There'll be something I haven't quite formulated that thought, but there'll be something along those lines. Yeah, absolutely. Great. Um, what were your favorite parts of season one? I like the I like the dragon reveal at the end. I you know when I first saw this, I don't think I expected that. And then uh, also when Ned got his head chopped off, I mean you, he was like the main character for like all you know the no. eight or nine episodes. And you're like, oh, okay, he's going to, and no, oh, wait, they killed him. And, you know, and, and so that's kind of when you realize that the, the stories are going to be about their children. Because that ultimately, except nice. for, except for the youngest who got like really small, small scene in relative to everyone else. And then he get he, he dies in a spectacular way later on. But uh, everyone else is, is uh, yeah, I, I didn't expect Ned to get killed at all. Mel, yeah. what, what about you? I think just, just too many to count, but if I have to like focus down, then I think it's every scene where I can see the huge wall because it just reveals the undeniable threat that lies beyond. And I'm just so curious, like when I watch that series, um, what is there? What, what is the great threat? How is the White Walkers? How big yeah. is their army? Yeah, I just want to find it all out. And every time I see it, it's just like, let me see more. <laughs> sure, interesting. Yeah, that's it. That's, I, yeah, I think I ignore it because they scare me a little bit, the White Walkers. Um, although I do love the wall. I love the watchers. I love the, the, the stewards of the wall and their, their roles. And I, I think for me, because I found Ned's, Ned Stark's death really shocking the first time around. Um, and after all that bloodshed and loss, it was really wonderful to see Daenerys rise from subjugated to power. Yep. So I left on that high of, ah. Oh, at least the dragon queen has come. Next series, what do you guys think? Second season, Game of Thrones. Yes. Yay. Oh, okay, I'll twist my arm. I I'll... couldn't stop watching it, so I'm actually already yeah. in episode one. I'm actually in season four, because I couldn't stop oh. watching it either. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, so that wraps up our podcast for today. We hope you have a better understanding of the story grid methodology. Please leave us a rating review and tell your author and editor friends about us so we can help others with their writing and they can help and they can find us. For more information, videos, and articles on the StoryGrid, go to storygrid.com or our webpage, sgshowrunners.com. And if you want to connect to one of the editors directly, links to our webpages are also in the show notes. Thanks for joining us and we'll see you next time.